Thanks, uh, Pastor David. It's weird saying that. <laughs> it's good to be here this morning. Um, and as David mentioned, uh, our introduction was through uh, Camp uh, what was Rimrock um, at the time, and which was about 20 years ago, close to. And uh, so my approach here is going to be a lot different than, you know, talking to a bunch of middle school kids. Um, <laughs> so uh, they get the better end of it. As, uh, as David mentioned, I, uh, I live in California now. And it's funny, it doesn't take long to become like a Californian, you know, dude. Um, and uh, and we, we moved in 2018 uh, to San Bernardino. And it was, was kind of interesting because I, I'd never been to San Bernardino, but I've been to California a lot. And people in California said, if you move to California, do not move to San Bernardino. And where does God call us? To San Bernardino. And how many of you know that God has a sense of humor, but I don't think he's funny all, that t- all the time. <laughs> and so I'll be honest with you. Being in Southern California has been miserable. And it's been one of the most challenging things for our family. We, after five months, we went out to take over a church. Five months after we moved, the church closed. And that was real convenient. And I'm like, ha ha, God, <laughs> real funny. <laughs> and, and so, it's been this continuous learning experience. God took us away from 21 years of comfort in Lincoln, Nebraska, and moved us into a strange place where we didn't know anyone. And this reality of being an alien or a stranger was very real for us in that regard. The culture's completely different. San Bernardino is about 70% Hispanic. It is the second poorest city of its size in the United States. It's the most dangerous city in California. And we were definitely foreigners in this environment. And trying, and been, over the past couple of years, we've been, we've been trying to find our community, and it's been challenging. Because no matter what, we feel like we're outsiders. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? And I just kind of get this sense that God was a, has been teaching us a deeper lesson than just going out there to save a dying church. I'm sorry, my my wife was just trying to FaceTime me. I should have answered it. (laughs) And so it was interesting yesterday, uh, well, this past past Monday, I flew into uh, Omaha stayed in Lincoln because I actually have two kids that, that live in Lincoln and a granddaughter. And, uh, and so I spent the, the week there and then on Friday I drove out to Bridgeport and spoke at a retreat for, uh, for some youth. And my wife flew in on Tuesday and then she flew out on Friday. And she said, I'm back in California. I talked to her, she said, I'm back in California. It's nice, traffic is terrible. I don't wanna live here anymore but it's cold in Nebraska. <laughs> and I'm like, I know, I, it's like this, I don't know, give and take. It's like, maybe we can just live here in, in Nebraska in the spring and fall and, and live somewhere in California where we don't have to drive anywhere. And it's just this weird thing. With, because as we we're talking, I said, you know what? I just get this sense, we don't really belong anywhere. 
that where we are is so temporary and that we don't need to settle in, but we need to look forward to what God has in store for us. But while we're here, we have a responsibility and obligation to do something for him. I'm getting ahead of myself. Let me pray. Lord, I want to thank you for this time. And I thank you so much for the privilege of being able to share your word with your people. Lord, I thank you for this cold but cozy moment um, that you are in. And I thank you, Lord, that you structured it. Even though for some of us, I know for me, we think about the inconvenience of snow. But Lord, your hand is on it. And I just thank you. And if your hand is on the weather. I pray that your hand is upon us. And that you would speak to us in such a unique way. In such a powerful way that it transforms who we are. I submit and I surrender to what it is that you want to do this morning. And I just declare my love for you in Jesus' name. Amen. We're on this journey right now, and it's in 1 Peter chapter 2. And I, I, I love the way 1 Peter, starts, 1 Peter chapter 2 starts out. Oftentimes when, when ministers preach from 1 Peter chapter 2, they, they, they start in verse 4. <laughs> But I want to capture the first three verses because I think it lays a foundation for where I believe we want to go this morning. It starts out with this peculiar word, and I'm reading from the NIV, that says, therefore. Therefore is a very profound word. And it's profound because it is connecting something. There was something that was stated prior to this and he's trying to grab our attention and draw our attention into something so that we, we capture it so that what's about to be said begins to link together and it makes sense. A lot of people say, a lot of pastors say, uh, when you see the word therefore in scripture, you need to know what it's there for. That's funny. <laughs> um, but it says, therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit. That man, he just kind of goes for the jugular right away. Hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. Now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. It's so beautiful when you think about it. I mean, it, it's convicting, but it's also beautiful. And the reason, part of the reason why I want to share this is because when we take a look at the culture that we're living in, and we, we're, we, hit, we see this admonition, um, and, and it's relevant and transcendent for today, that we need to rid ourselves of all malice and deceit. And I don't know if you are familiar with this, but there's been a lot going on in our country lately. <laughs> Over the last several months, there's, there's been a lot that has been spinning around and, and, and we're almost forced to pick the, one of the polarizing sides of what's going on in our culture. And, and I gotta be honest with you, it's very frustrating. And I don't know what it's like here in, in Wyoming, but in California, it is so polarizing. And you're almost pulled into this conversation, not even conversations, they're arguments every single day about what's going on politically, about what's going on racially, what's going on health-wise. It's so ridiculous and tiring. And even in my own family, I have to keep my mouth closed when I talk to my siblings because some, I don't really agree with some of the things they say. And if I don't say anything, it's like I picked a side. And so where do we go from there? Well, I don't want to be, I don't want to speak maliciously. I don't want to be slanderous. I don't want to be deceitful or a hypocrite. So what do you do in that moment? And I love how Peter addresses this. He says, like newborn babes. Let's crave pure and spiritual milk. I believe what he's saying is this. <laughs> Let's get rid of all the junk that we're hearing <laughs> and just focus on what matters. 
What begs the question is, what does matter? I love this metaphor of like newborn babes. I, you know, I, uh, I have a two-year-old grandson, and he is awesome. I, I, I don't mind saying this. He is actually my favorite person in the world. You know, I have four kids, two grandkids, and I like him the best. I've been married, I've been married for 26 years. And, and she knows. I mean, she's tapped out on that. She said, I know he's your favorite. I mean, honey, no second, but I mean, <laughs> he's just so darn cute and he cracks me up. But I can remember when he was born and um, you know, it's funny because you talk about accidents, <laughs> um, but this was a happy accident. I mean, we were completely taken off guard uh, by our daughter having a, a child and, and, and so they were living with us when, and they still do, um, they were living with us when he was first born and I can remember in the middle of the night he'd start crying and I would want to get up and help him but there was nothing I could do for him <laughs> because he didn't want me. <laughs> he wanted pure milk that I couldn't offer. <laughs> He wanted his mom. With all the noise that was going on around him, he wanted to zero in on what was good for him. It, this reminds me of, uh, of when uh, of the, there was these uh, kind of school of prophets in, and, uh, in, in Second Kings, and uh, they were making a stew. And one of the prophets went out and he grabbed some, some gourds, wild gourds they had never seen before. And he thought, this is a good idea. I'll bring this into the stew. So he cuts it up and puts it in the stew and all the other guys eat it. And they, they said, there's death in the pot. That's a little extreme. But and they got sick. And it's kind of interesting because sometimes we go outside, we go out into the world and we grab stuff that we think is okay and we try to bring it into the church and we say, this, we should be okay with this. But when we eat it, we get sick. And we can't mix what's outside in the world in with what the purity of God's word is. We can't do that. Because when we do that, it... it, 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 uh, it poisons the pot and it doesn't take a whole lot for that to happen just a little bit i was speaking at a church last week in temecula california and this the the youth director came up to me and, and it's ironically i was preaching out of first chapter two and as well and the youth leader came up to me and afterwards and said kevin thank you so much for what you're sh what you shared today and she said, I've been, I've been so burdened. And I said, why? She said, because four kids in my youth group came out this week. And one of them was my student leader. And he was listening to a podcast of a so-called Christian that said it was okay for him to live and feel that way took something from outside and brought it inside and it's making Peter says we need to crave pure spiritual milk what he's saying is that we need to crave the, the word of God what does that mean the word of God how many of you in this room would say yeah I know the word of God. How many would say that you know the word of God? Hopefully Pastor Dave raises his hand. All right. All right. So a couple of you, I, I'm thinking about embarrassing you, but so I, I, there's a couple of you that know the word of God and, and how many would say I, I'm kind of a novice and I'm kind of struggling to know the word of God? Okay. How many of you have no idea what I'm talking about? <laughs> and see, part of what we're discovering here in First Peter is I, I can't get away from backstory. Every time I meet somebody, I, I know there's a backstory. 
When somebody acts crazy, I'm like, there's a reason why you act crazy. What's going on? The backstory to that. As Peter writes this letter, there's a backstory to that, meaning what was motivating Peter to write this? What was it? And it's so interesting because nowadays when we, when we dissect 1 Peter, it takes biblical scholars to try to figure out what he's saying. But Peter wasn't a biblical scholar, and he wrote it. So what was he trying to convey to us? He wasn't thinking, you know, in, a, in about 1,900 years, I'm going to write this in such a way that only professional Christians will know what I'm talking about. No. What he was doing, he wasn't even talking about vowels and consonants. It had nothing to do with that. When Peter was thinking about the word, he wasn't thinking about putting, stringing a bunch of sentences together to make a paragraph. What he was thinking about was a person. You know, the Bible tells us that the word was with God in the beginning. So knowing the word has more to do with knowing a person than it does with knowing how to read. And so what's motivating Peter is the time that he spent with the Savior. And for me, there's no one more qualified to write about Christ than someone who spent time with him. So I I say that to encourage you. If you know him, you know the word. You might not be able to pontificate over scripture. But what really matters is, are you spending time with him? As Peter continues on, what he's saying, he, he continues, he says, so that by it you may grow in your salvation, that, that now that you've tasted that the Lord is good. You see the connection. He talks about desiring sp- pure spiritual milk, the word, but he links the Lord in it because taste and milk, those things go together. Craving milk and, and tasting, and he, and he, but he puts it all together by saying, you need to taste the Lord. That's what makes all the difference. And those of you who are in this room, I, I guarantee you, you're in this room. You came to church on this Sunday because you've tasted Jesus and you know how good he is. So let's just stay in that lane as we begin to navigate our lives from this point forward. As we begin to consider what's going on in our country, in our culture. Let's stay in this lane of tasting the goodness of Jesus. <sighs> now that you've tasted that he's good, wow. It, it gets better from here. He says, as you come to him, I almost fell off this stool. Did you guys catch that? <laughs> I, I, I've tried to play it off real cool. Like, I'm just leaning. but he says as you come to him the living stone rejected by humans but chosen precious to him you also like living stones are being built into a spiritual house this is this is so 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 exciting when you when you uh consider this this is is so awesome i love this um what this means is this as we begin to understand the word, meaning Jesus, the person, we also begin to understand a kingdom. I was in a conversation, this is right after the, uh, the George Floyd incident that happened in, in Minnesota, and I was talking to a pastor friend of mine out in California, and he asked me, he said, Kevin, I've never been black. I'm like, wow, you, really? It just happened for me. <laughs> and he said, I don't know how to process and think through this. Can you, can you help me? And I'm like, well, what do you want to know? And, and we, it was kind of this back and forth conversation. And it got deep. And it got uncomfortable, even for me. It got uncomfortable. And 
I stopped talking for a while. You know why I stopped talking? And this is part of the problem that we have in our culture. This is what we're facing. Reason why we don't know the word is because we're always talking. Because we're the ones that want to be heard. We don't care about what somebody else has to say. In our country right now, we just want to be heard. But now it's a crucial time to listen. You'll get your chance to state your opinion. But it's time for us to pay attention to what the culture is saying. What are people saying? And it will break your heart if you really listen to what they're saying. Because no matter what they say, no matter where they're coming from, everybody is still saying this. They need a savior. That's what they're saying. They just, they might not know it, but that's what they're saying. And so as we're having this conversation, he was asking me, he said, I don't know how to look at this. And there's always these varying opinions. Even in, in, in the African-American culture, sometimes I'm not black enough. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, don't take my card from me. I still want to go to the meetings. But <laughs> I feel that way because I'm not extreme enough. And he said, so how should we think about this? And I said, it's kind of simple, really. And, and this wasn't me. This was just one of those Holy Spirit moments where I opened my mouth and he decided to speak through me. I said, how did Jesus live? You think about this. Jesus grew up in an environment that was probably most intense culture that humans ever experienced. He grew up in a police state. I mean, it was dangerous for him to believe, believe and see what he said because it eventually got him killed. Imagine that. But how did he live? He never compromised anything. And he never told his disciples to follow a political leader. Make sure you vote. <laughs> his point was, you know what? We live from a different kingdom. I live from a different kingdom. And Jesus, his time on earth was to demonstrate to you and I what life could be like to live from the That's part of the responsibility, is understanding that we are part of a different kingdom. We need to understand that we not only are, are we a part of this other kingdom, that we, we also need to live from that kingdom. And, and that's why it's so crucial for us to know and understand the word of God. We need to know what he is saying to us. And the only way you're going to know what he's saying is that you're going to have to spend time with him. A couple months ago, I was just challenged to spend more time with God. And it wasn't an outside force. It was just kind of that inner thing where I just sensed that God was saying, you and I need to spend more time together. And, and I have my routine I think a lot of us have our, our God routine. You know, and I also realize that the majority of people I know, I spend more time with God than they do. So I'm thinking, I'm, I'm doing okay. But then I hear God say, no, you and I need to spend time together. I'm like, how much more time do you want? <laughs> and he said... How much is it worth to you? How much is knowing me worth to you? And so I began to just spend more time with him. And how many of you know when you start spending a lot of time with God, 
and then he starts giving you instructions on how to live, it looks crazy to everybody else. Even to those who are close to you will think you're kind of strange when you start spending a lot of time with God and you begin to say, I think God is telling me to do this. Huh? Yeah, I, I think God is telling me to walk around Jericho for a few days. And then on the last day, yeah. And who is it that you spent time with? <laughs> it was God. And was that with a big G or a little G? <laughs> It sounds kooky. It sounds crazy when we're asked to do, when, when God begins to tell us to do stuff because it, it, it goes against the grain of what's natural in our culture. But that's what it means to live from a different kingdom. That's what Jesus did all the time. Jesus would tell us to, his disciples, you know, hey, we're, we're going to go back to Jerusalem. And, and, and Thomas was like, hey, didn't they just try to kill us when we were there? Yeah. Why would we go back? Because Lazarus needs us. Who? <laughs> Lazarus who? <laughs> Lazarus. What's wrong with Lazarus? Well, he's, he's, he's asleep. He'll wake up. <laughs> Peace. <laughs> Let's go. Why would you put yourself in the middle of danger? doesn't make sense until you start following the voice of the one who knows everything and sees it all who's not bound by time because when you're following him even when it looks dangerous there's still a sense of peace in the middle of that that's why Jesus was able to fall asleep on a boat when there's a storm brewing I still don't know how he did that I was telling the kids this weekend I was on a boat in the middle of the sea fishing, it was awful. I couldn't imagine sleeping on a, in something like that. My face had turned green. <laughs> and he's asleep on a boat because he understands peace because he is peace. And that's what we need to be striving for. Not only that, we need to understand that our focus, not only do we understand that we belong to a different kingdom? Not only should we live from a different kingdom, but we need to understand that our focus must be on the king of that kingdom. See, I, I love how scripture has, uh, as Peter uh, draws this out, he says, he says, see, I lay a stone in Zion, a, ch a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. It's so interesting because in our discussions with one another, we, we, we make things about us. Even this young man that, from Temecula who said, I'm coming out because I believe it's okay and God's okay with that. See, we, is we start twisting and turning stuff and we make it about us. And see, it, it's not about church becoming more like the culture. That's not our ch the church was designed to look like Jesus. And at the end of the day, you as a follower of Christ, needs to look, you need to look like him. Not a better version of you. You need to look like who he is. Because you can't save anybody. Only he can. He is the king of all kings. He is the Lord of all lords. He is the Alpha and the Omega. He's the author and finisher of our faith. He is El Shaddai and Elohim. He is Adonai. He is the God who, who has created all things. Why in the world would we reduce that and make it about us? But we do it all the time. We need to understand that we have to have our focus on the King. And it makes, it, it, when you think about it, it kind of makes it a little simpler for us if we would just do that. It would be a lot easier if we would just do what the king says. It, as a parent, don't, didn't you tell your kids that? Just do what I say. 
Then they get to that stage. Why? Because it's healthy for you. <laughs> so the stone, see, I love how Peter relates to this because buildings were such a fascination in the culture and, and the way they were built. These huge stones would, would, would be used to erect these buildings. But he said, look at the cornerstone. That's Christ. This all falls apart without the cornerstone. It doesn't matter how many expensive or beautiful stones you use to build this thing up. Without that cornerstone, it doesn't matter. Our focus needs to be on Christ. Next. I need to wrap this up. I, I took too long in my intro. And now my uh, cord is all tied up. Oh, there we go. All right. Then the truth of the matter is there's a cost in putting Jesus first. Peter goes on, he says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe the stone is precious, but to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. You ever get in a conversation with somebody about Jesus who doesn't believe in Jesus? Or you can kind of use the, the name or word God and it's very generic and people aren't very offended. Somebody sneezes, God bless you. Nobody gets offended by that. Try this. Somebody sneezes in front of you, Jesus bless you. You're going to feel uncomfortable saying it because you're going to think the person who heard, heard it is uncomfortable too. Because once you begin to personify God, it gets real real personal and it starts cutting and so we can you we can use the name of god but when we start making him personal that's when it becomes offensive that's when people start getting upset whoa whoa why are you forcing your religion on me i hear that all the time in california dude well i mean we're all like you know god's people man I mean, everything's God, isn't it? Trees and flowers. And I'm like, no! <laughs> Smack! <laughs> Don't you just wish as a Christian you could just throat punch people sometimes? <laughs> I'm sorry, I, I still have this violent side in me. <laughs> but I'm like, they'll say stuff, I'm like, that is like the dumbest thing I ever heard in my life. What are you talking about? Huh? And, and, and some, I can't remember, I'm trying to recall the conversation I was having, but somebody was talking to me and they were trying to have an intellectual conversation with me about God and they were saying all this stuff and I'm just like, mm hmm And finally you get to the end, they're like, so what do you think of that? I'm like, can I be honest with you? They're like, sure. I'm like, that's the dumbest thing I ever heard in my life. <laughs> talking about that makes no sense in all your discussion you made yourself God and the focus can't be on you it has to be on someone else I, there was a when I was pastoring a church in, in Lincoln there was a there was a young man he was sitting in the front row and, and I'm sharing and and uh, I'm, I'm <laughs> I get done and, and we do an altar call and, and people come up he doesn't come up to the altar but he's kind of hovering around the altar <laughs> you know he's one of those I, he'd never been to church before and I'm, I'm looking at him and I know he's waiting for church to end because he wants to have a conversation with me and I'm like crap can, can I say crap all right thanks <laughs> I can say crap. Dave's the pastor. So, <laughs> and, and I know, because it's going to be one of those conversations, and you know what this is like. You, you know, you give all this energy into a message, and then there's somebody, you just know, it's like, this is not going to be a good conversation. It's just going to drain me. And I'm just like, the buffet's open, dude. 
You're just holding me up. Look at me. I need sustenance. <laughs> so everybody starts clearing out, and he's there waiting there, and he said, hey, pastor, can I talk to you? Yeah, I saw this coming. He said, uh, I just want to talk to you about what you were, what you were, what you were saying. And by the way, that was a good speech. That's how you know nobody's ever been to church. That person's ever been to church. They don't call it a sermon. They call it a speech. <laughs> that was a good speech. <laughs> He's like, I, I, I was... I was okay with everything you said. And then he starts talking to me about his philosophy of God. I'm just like, I'm just kind of like, wow. <laughs> Who brought you? That's what I'm thinking. I didn't say that a lot, but I'm thinking, because I'm, I'm really mad at that person right now for, for bringing you because they left you with me. <laughs> so, and so he says, he says to me, he said, I, I, I just have a problem believing. I believe everything you said about God. I just have a problem believing in Jesus. I said, okay, what's the problem? He said, I just need more proof. Okay. I said, okay. And so, and if you're ever asked that as a believer, that, that kind of question makes your armpits kind of hot. <laughs> it's just like, oh, I hope I say the right thing. So the best thing to do in those moments for me is to ask more questions. Because I don't just want to kind of spit out an answer because I want to hear what he's coming from. And so I, I asked him, I said, so um, what kind of proof do you need? He said, oh, um, I don't know. <laughs> I never thought of that. Wait a minute. You need more proof, but you don't know what it is. Yeah. And I asked him, I said, well, does that make sense to you? <laughs> Not really. I said, well, would it make sense to you that I know that before you came to church, you were contemplating whether or not you can go into church because you were too busy getting high? He's like, how'd you know that? I said, because I'm sitting here listening to you and I'm praying at the same time. And I really believe God is telling me that you have a problem with drugs. He said, he starts crying. He says, I do. I said, so I never met you, right? He said, no, you never met me. I said, how did I happen to see you in your living room? I don't know. And then I said, well, is that enough proof? And he starts crying. And without really knowing what he was saying, he just said, I don't know what I'm saying. I don't know what I'm asking, but whatever it is you have, I want it. How do I get it? See, coming to Jesus isn't all about all this knowledge that you acquire. It's a step of faith in understanding my life's messed up and I need something more. And this is when it gets real gooder in Scripture. <laughs> It says they stumbled because they disobeyed the message, which was also what they were destined for. And I, I'm an overly optimistic person. I, I believe every person I meet is somebody God assigned me to, to share his love with. I don't always get that right. I'll be honest with you. Sometimes I'm too busy judging that person. And then I walk away and God convicts me. And he says, why do you think I put you in that position? Peter says, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. In Exodus 19, 5 and 6, Moses said something similar, or something was similar was said to Moses uh, in that, sorry, technology is great when it works. He says, 
Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations, you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, this is God saying this to Moses, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. The Israelites, just like you and I, were foreigners and aliens. They were strangers in a new land. I titled this message, Pick Me. And it was because of this verse, verse 9. I can recall when I was in elementary school, and we would go outside for recess, and all the kids in class wanted me to be on their team. I'm not saying that to brag, because I, I peaked in sixth grade. Um, but <laughs> Because they knew if Kevin was on our team, we had a better chance of winning. But then there was always that, that one kid who nobody ever wanted on their team. You remember that kid? Some of you are saying, yeah, that was me. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> but it, it may well, very well have been. But see, if you would have gone to my school, I would have picked you. Because for me, it really didn't matter because I, I was cocky enough to know that whoever was on my team, we were going to win anyway. So, yeah, and, and it was interesting because I remember walking, we would stand in line for recess, and that kid, he said, Kevin, if you're a captain, will you pick me? I'm like, yeah, man, I will pick you, David. And so what I would do, I would, I would be captain, I would pick the worst kid first. Because I did it for two reasons. One, because of my own arrogance. But there was also a deeper reason. I don't even, now looking back, I really don't know where this came from. I really wanted to affirm him. That he was okay. When Peter's writing this, this letter... He's writing this to a group of people who, were, who felt like outsiders and felt as if they didn't belong anywhere. Now imagine being kicked down by the world, being chastised, being ridiculed, being judged by the world. And all of a sudden, the man of God says, no, you belong. Does that change anything for you? Does that give you hope? Does that light a fire inside of you to know that I'm included? That is so amazing and so awesome when you consider that. So Peter says, no, forget about what was said about you in the past. And this is a, this is a Gentile audience that he's writing to. He said, you now belong. You weren't, you what? You were in darkness. No one cared about you. No one even considered your voice. But now what God is saying is that you belong to him. And not only that, but you are a royal priesthood. How cool is that? How awesome is that? You are part of this rich kingdom that God has created. I don't know about you, but that excites me. And when I consider that, when I think about that, I'm like, this is amazing. Not only is it amazing, it, it also convicts me and tells me that I have this tremendous responsibility and obligation that I need to share with the world. This is what we're being called to. I, I, I'm just going to end here. I, I want to encourage you with this. I want you to think about something. You could have been born at any time in history. Why did God wait till now for you to exist? You ever think about that? It's been being said for centuries that the end is coming. I don't know about you, but I've just seen kind of this acceleration of spiritual things happening. And 
doesn't make me nervous. It just opens my eyes. If there's any nervousness, the nervousness comes from, have I been doing enough? Being chosen doesn't mean that you are, that you've arrived at this place of, ah. Being chosen means that you now, a responsibility rests upon you. That there's an obligation that you and I now have. And I do believe that our generation has been chosen. I, and when I say generation, I mean those who are existing at this moment. I really believe that we've been handpicked by God to usher in a movement of God that the world has never seen. I truly and honestly believe that there's not going to be too many other generations after ours. And... I wear that, and so what I mean, and what I mean to say is this. We have been given this sweet, sweet, providential obligation to host the gospel of Jesus Christ so that those who don't know him can know his love. And I don't know about you, but I'm willing to take on that challenge. And I want to live my life so that other people know how much God loves them. It's funny. I, I remember begging my wife for this tablet. I'm like, I need it. I mean, it's gonna make preaching so much easier. But it's easier sometimes to flip through pages because I know exactly where things are. And sometimes my thumb or finger gets too big for this thing and I, I'm like, I didn't mean to press that. Once you were not a people, but now you are a people, the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have mercy, dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Peter understood the urgency. He understood the eminent, the, the eminent return of Jesus which has been lost on us. And I think we need to refocus and recalibrate ourselves on the urgency of Jesus' return. Crazy thing happened when we first moved to California. We're in Southern California. It's December. And I turned on the news and all the stations are going crazy. And the reason why is because it's snowing outside. <laughs> And some of the, a couple of our friends out there told us, you know, it hasn't snowed here in over 20 years. And then you move here and it starts snowing. <laughs> they were blaming me. <laughs> I'm okay with that. But it got my attention and said, God, you're doing something and I don't understand what it is. And I think you're trying to draw our attention to it. And then in March, a pandemic hit our nation. And, and, and this sounds crazy, but in January, a, a basketball icon was killed. And the whole world knew about it. And it shook all of us. And someone said, the beginning of birth pains, when that happened. I never knew Kobe Bryant, but it shocked me that him and his baby girl died and others with them. And then, ever since that moment, there's just kind of been this string of craziness happening. 
And yet the church is still saying, let's go back to normal. <laughs> what? Are you kidding me? There's no longer a normal for us. And we need to be okay with that. The normal is simply positioning ourselves so that the world can see Jesus through us. That's all that, that's all that matters. And it doesn't matter where we stand when that happens. We just need to be available. We need to be postured in such a way that we do, matter of fact, maybe offend the world and even look crazy, but they're saying to us, how's that happening for you? What in the world is going on? I went to this coffee shop, this was years ago, in, in Lincoln. I, I, I remember pulling up and, and uh, I walked in and there's these two older women sitting at a table right by the door and I walked in and they, they start smiling and wait and they didn't really wave, they're just smiling at me. Here, they're probably in their 70s. Sorry. And I'm like, I still got it. I walk up to the counter and I, 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 I give my order and I could, I could hear them giggling and every once in a while I turn around and they're staring at me and laughing. And I'm going to start feeling a little uncomfortable, you know, because it's not like this, you know, cynical laugh, but it's like junior high girls laughing, you know, you know? and I'm thinking, ladies, I, I'm flattered, but I'm, I'm taking, <laughs> whoa. That's not my wife. And so I'm standing, I'm waiting for my, my drink, and, and they're kind of whispering to each other, and they kind of look up at me every once in a while. And I'm like, this is starting to get awkward. But then I get my drink, and I'm, I'm heading back out, and one of the ladies says, hey, hey uh, excuse me. And I'm like, yes. <laughs> um, we want to ask you a question. I said, okay, well, What's up? And I'm like, okay, here it comes. I'm like, wow, this is going to be embarrassing because I'm going to have to turn down a 70-year-old. <laughs> and the woman says, are you a Christian? And I said, yeah. And they said, we're sorry, we've been talking about you since you came in. I'm like, yeah, I know. <laughs> but we noticed something when you pulled up and you got out of the car, we could just see God's light on you. And we knew that you walked with Jesus. And it's so affirming to hear that you belong to him because we belong to him too. I share that because once we strip away all the garbage and junk in our lives and just focus on him, he will radiate through us. And we don't even have to go out to the world because the world will start coming to us. And they'll ask, what must I do to be saved? God bless you. Thank you.